Good morning. We're blessed with a beautiful day today. And it's so good to see uh, such a good number out today. I, I imagine there's 50 or more in Atlanta. And we need to remember them in prayer that they will come safely to us. And they'll be here this evening. I want to mention a couple of things before we begin. We have visitors in the audience. You are our honored guest. And we would like to have a record of your attendance if you will fill out one of the cards and you can leave it on the pew there. In the foyer we have now for about a month had a card ministry and uh, I want to let you know that Jerry puts these names and addresses out on Friday so there were some this morning before Sunday school writing cards. You can do it now when we get out uh, if you want to wait and uh, eat your dinner a little later. Or you can get here a little early tonight or even after service. We had 44 cards done last Sunday. Um, you may wonder what is the benefit of this. When you go and visit someone who has been here and they've gotten one or two or even four cards, it makes for a pleasant time, a great introduction. If you go to see someone who is sick or bereaved and may not even be a member here, and they have gotten one or two or four cards, it opens doors for us. Brother Rob Whitaker suggested these things to us and I want to encourage everybody to do this. <clears throat> We're here this morning, and I'm reminded of something uh, Donnie said in his remarks, where they uh, told Pilate, his blood be on us and on our children. You know, uh, friends, blood guiltiness is a very serious matter. In our country, it is called murder. Sometimes it's in the first, second, or third degree, or even manslaughter. But most often, people spend some time incarcerated for these things. And you know, in my opinion, Jerusalem got judged for the blood guiltiness of the Son of God about 40 years after his death on the cross when Titus had surrounded the city for uh, many months and sieged it, starved them nearly to death, and finally overcame the walls, and they went in, and there were thousands and thousands who were killed and or crucified there to the point where there was hardly a tree left in Judea. His blood be on us and on our children. Titus wiped Jerusalem like you'd wipe gravy off of a dish. And yet here today, many years later, my sins and yours helped to put our Savior on that cross. Our lesson this morning, though, is going to center itself along some events that happened the night before he was crucified about 9 o'clock that Friday morning. Jesus, after he had instituted 
the Lord's Supper during the taking of the Passover with his disciples. And Matthew 26, 30 says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I am told uh, the Mount of Olives, the top of it was seven-eighths of a mile from the temple. Gethsemane, the garden, where Judas knew Jesus was going to be. That's where Jesus went for quiet time. My wife has walked in Gethsemane when she visited Israel a couple of years ago. And it was named Gethsemane for the olive presses that were there. There were olive trees all over that mountain at one time. There are not so many now. But <clears throat> Jesus was known to be there. And the Garden of Gethsemane was on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives, just over the brook Kidron. I figure about a third of a mile, maybe, from the temple. Mine being less than that. But if you will please read with me our lesson text this morning out of Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. So he had 11 with him. Judas has gone. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. A very hard night for our Savior was there. We can note the Lord's emotional and physical distress while in the garden. And it can be seen from the various postures he take, took. In Luke twenty two forty one says he knelt. In, Matthew, in Mark 14, 35, he fell on the ground. In Matthew 26, 
39, he fell on his face. Some of you have been upset enough that you've fallen on your face before hearing terrible, shocking news. I know I have. And so this was his emotional uh, state at the time. And then there are words that were used to describe his state at this time. And Luke 22:44 says he was in an agony, which uh, the root word there is speaking of consternation and appalled reluctance. Matthew 26:37 and Mark 14:33 says he was deeply distressed. This means a loathing aversion. 2638 says he was exceedingly sorrowful, which is in reference to mental pain and anguish which just hems one in on every side. In Mark 1433, he began to be troubled and literally horror struck. Luke 22:44, as if those weren't enough, we see there where his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. <clears throat> I am told that uh, bloody sweat rarely occurs, but except during highly, highly emotional states. And while he was in that state, Luke 22 tells us, an angel came strengthening him. But as we think of uh, the time and the place, there are a few lessons I want us to get from Gethsemane this morning. Number one, and these are as practical as I think we need them, in times of trial, we must not practice isolation. I have visited in people's homes from time to time some were discouraged from attending services, and some of these were suffering from depression. And I have gone into their home, and every window in the house would be shut and covered. Well, after I'd been there a time or two, I started opening those blinds when I went in there. I said, you need, some, you need some sun. You need some difference in your environment. And so I hoped that helped them and encouraged them. But in Galatians 6 and 2, we are encouraged to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I will never forget uh, the day and even the hour my mother left this earth. But beyond that, I'll never forget many of you who are sitting here looking at me right now came to our house that night. You knew we weren't going to have any service here in Valdosta, and a crowd came. And I've got a list of all the names. I told my brother about all of you as uh, we were discussing things later that week. But in times of trial, 
We need one another, don't we? And Jesus needed those disciples, but yet they were not there for him. Number two, we can see from the life of Jesus on this occasion, prayer will fortify us for the task and give us courage to face the future. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel prayed, and I'm sure we learned even uh, a long time ago in Sunday school how Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. But maybe you did not realize, and you may know, but there were 67 years elapsed from Daniel 1 to Daniel 6. That man who prayed morning, noon, and night in Daniel 6 when it became illegal to do so in Babylon was probably around 85 years of age. And so they came and they threw him into the lion's den. He had been praying before this happened. He faced it courageously. And our God in heaven shut the mouths of those lions. Well, on this occasion, Jesus was helped. And it could have helped, and he thought it would help those disciples. But they were asleep. In Acts 16, we read where Paul and Silas were praying in the Philippian jail. And certainly it helped them deal with the issues they were up against at that time. And so we as well need to remember to pray. And we can learn how even to pray by having a study of this prayer of Jesus. These three prayers of Christ in the garden at night. Number one, he prayed submissively. He said, thy will be done three times. He prayed several times. He prayed repeatedly. <clears throat> he prayed three times. And some have suggested why but and even what he was praying. What was the cup that he was praying about having removed? Some suggested it might have been his death. Probably not, because in John 12, 27, he said, For this purpose I have come to this hour. Or perhaps some suggest it could have been, he thought he possibly could have died in the garden in all the prostration that he was there. And of course an angel did come. I'm sure in answer to the prayer, uh, to his heavenly father and helped him on this occasion. But I think maybe it was the inexpressible dread of bearing all the sins of the world from the time Adam and Eve sinned till this very moment in time and all of that having to drink that bitter cup, that terrible uh, burden that he knew that he was having to shoulder the next day. And you and I can empathize. We can't hardly stand up on our, uh, under our own thoughts and transgressions from day to day. But Jesus was praying for uh, this cup to pass. Jesus prayed 
earnestly. In Hebrews 5 and verse 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, Jesus cried at least three times. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. He wept on the first day of the last week of his life when he came and saw and witnessed the city of Jerusalem coming around the Mount of Olives. And then he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had strong tears to him who was able to save him from death. And note here, note here, and he was heard because of his godly fear. How many times have we said, well, God didn't hear my prayer. He hears our prayers, but he don't always say what we want him to say, does he? I used to pray uh, a good bit for patience. And in 2002, uh, our son was uh, diagnosed with cancer and had surgery and nine months of chemotherapy. Glenda had two surgeries that year herself. One was quite serious. Then, the day before Thanksgiving, I had the worst kidney stone attack I've never ever had that required surgery. And I told the church at Adel, says, I'm, I'm not going to pray for patience for a while. You understand what I'm saying? We have to be careful what we pray uh, for, don't we? We have to be careful. If we pray for doors to be open, we need to be ready to do what? Go through the door. If we pray for more knowledge, we need to be ready to do what? Listen in Bible class. Listen to the sermons. Read our Bibles and take some time to do so. And so forth. Number next, uh, Jesus prayed relationally. He said, Abba, Father, a friend of mine who went to Palestine a while back and uh, said that he heard several of the Jewish children using this term, Abba, Father. And it is a term of endearment used by children, even in Jesus' day, toward their father. Who was his father? The Bible says Joseph, was as was supposed, he was his father. But the Lord in heaven was his father, wasn't he? And so he prayed relationally. He prayed specifically. He said, let this cup pass. And Jesus taught us to pray that way. Give us this day our daily bread. He prayed unpretentiously. He went further alone. And the gospel writers tells us it was about a stone's cast. We need to do most of our praying at home. And maybe much of that in private ourselves. While the disciples slept, enemies plotted. Oh, they didn't know. They just did not really comprehend and realize, in my opinion, the gravity of the situation. Their Savior knew. Their Master knew. He tenderly urged them to stay awake. 
he repeatedly told them of their need to pray. We are reminded in Matthew 13 of the parable of the uh, tares, how that these seeds were sown in the field. And while the workers slept, an enemy came and sowed tares in the field. Then I'm minded of Matthew 25, another parable of Jesus when in the first 13 verses, there was a wedding feast. And on this occasion, there were 10 virgin girls that were going to be a part of the wedding party. And for some reason, the bridegroom was late in getting there. And the wedding festivities in the Eastern culture revolves around the man. I know it revolves around the woman here. And I've done weddings that say, well, I said, be the wedding will be at three. And bless your heart, the girl then marched down the aisle to about 15 to four. But you're going to stay there till she come down the aisle because it's revolving around her and uh, her getting herself ready. But on these days, it revolved around the bridegroom and he tarried till about midnight. <clears throat> All 10 of these virgins were ready early in the evening. But as they got up to trim their lamp, five who had been asleep found out their lamps were going out and they weren't prepared for the long haul. I had a teacher at Alabama Christian. He was one of them that helped start the school, Leonard Johnson. And he always told us he wanted to scare the life out of us before test. He said, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. That should be our mantra every day. We need to prepare every day. We need to do what we can every day to serve our families and to serve God. But these foolish virgins, they were called, slept while the bridegroom tarried, and they were left out of that wedding feast when the door was shut. Sleepy saints today, are not serving God to their best ability. Why? Because they are unprepared. You may be even physically asleep as I speak. I don't know. I ain't paying attention to you. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a spiritual lethargy that takes over every part of our body and soul. They are wasting time and opportunity Oh, and they were called, these virgins, foolish. The best preparation for tomorrow is doing our best today. Next, and I like this one, let us adopt. He went a little further in our approach to life. Remember, Jesus was here with three. He stopped there, and he went a little further and prayed. Brethren, friends, and neighbors, we need to go a little further at school. We need to go a little further at work. We need to go a little further at home. We need to go a little further as a neighbor. We need to go a little further in all those things. And we certainly need to go a little further spiritually. We need to go further 
in being non-retaliatory. In Matthew 5, 38 to 48, Jesus, in describing second-mile religion, says, give one your second cheek if they slap you on the first. That means do not retaliate. When Jesus was taken in the garden, Peter cut Malchus's ear off with the sword. And Jesus rebuked him. But in 1 Peter 2.23, says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We need to pray, as Jesus taught us, for those who are mistreating us. These things are not easy. None of it's easy. But we're talking about going a little further. We need to go a little further in our forgiving attitudes. In Luke 23, 34, it says there, Jesus stated, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On the cross, he was in his mind forgiving those who had nailed him to that cross. We need to go a little further in our love for others. Christ said on one occasion, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John 13 and 34. In some of the uh, contemporary writers back in first and second centuries re and recorded how others stated uh, about the Christians See how they love one another. Can people look at us and say the same thing? We need to go a little further in our sacrificial living. Jesus did. In John 10, 18, he stated, No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. The Lord's army is a volunteer army. You know, the state of Tennessee which some of you hail from, is known as the volunteer state because they had multiplied thousands who volunteered to do what was needed at the time in different historical times of our country. But it took a sacrifice. Paul told those at Rome, Romans 12.1, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. When we think a minute about the Old Testament sacrifices, every one of them was dead. And none of them volunteered to die. We need to volunteer to die. And, and, and have you ever said this? I have. Well, so-and-so hurt my feelings. If I was dead... I wouldn't have no feelings to hurt. Overlook those things. I think I'm a little better now, but I probably ain't good as I need to be. Pretty sure. But we need to go a little further in our effort at excellence. Jesus did all things well. Mark 7, 37. Peter, in talking about him at Cornelius' house, said he went about doing good in Acts 10 in verse 38, we need to adopt this uh, uh, mantra going a little further to obey 
the will of our Father. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Matthew 7, 21. And I think this helps me to think about it this way. Let us act. Let us conduct ourselves day by day as if what we do makes a difference because it does. It does. Jesus died that Friday afternoon around 3 o'clock. They came on the first day of the week, early in the morning, to even offer more things for his burial, even though Joseph uh, and uh, Nicodemus had put a hundred pounds of spices in, you know, his burial clothes on Friday. But they came because love demands the personal touch. And the grave was empty. In Luke 24 and verse 5, one of them who was weeping at the grave was asked by an angel, Why do you seek the living among the dead? We serve a risen Savior today. And this risen Savior gives us this invitation. He gives us an invitation to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This world is a place of unrest. It's worse now than I can remember in my life. Family troubles, alcoholism, Immorality are direct results of the restlessness of sin. Psychology is helpless to solve all these problems. Sociology cannot cope with the tremendous problems of human relationships. Political leaders are no solution. But Jesus says, Jesus invites us, Come unto me and I will give you rest. Why die of thirst? When you're standing on the shores of a great pure lake. Why well, die of hunger when you're within reach of that living bread. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. He invites us to walk with him. And by doing so, we're saved by the cleansing of his blood day by day. 1 John 1, 7. Another one of our basic needs is affection. God has demonstrated his love for us in so many ways, but one of them was Jesus. Romans 5 and 8. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are not friendless as long as we have Christ. Do you want to know rest, peace, joy, security, and affection? on this old terrestrial ball? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you confessed your faith in him? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? Or have you done that and have become listless and have become uncaring and need our prayers? We invite you to come while we stand and sing.